Before we get going, just a quick heads up that there's a couple of swear words in this episode, so if you have young listeners around, turn it down or listen later. <laughs> All right, so what do we have to do here? We're running a drill. This is a cyclone drill. Okay, you've got no power. <laughs> what are you going to do, Laurie? The danger of her going away, it does bother us. And I think even the kids, you know, those, it, the week or so leading up to it, like you can, the house just isn't itself. It's the coldest place on earth. And just to make it clear, polar bears don't live there. So if you ever go, you won't see a polar bear. Well, what a big moment. Just walked into my hotel room. It's my uh, four walls for the next 14 days, quarantine. I'm trying to get used to the sound of the noise of microphone in my headphones. It all seems very foreign to me, so I'm trying to... The ice goes pink when penguins poo on it. When Quill's trapped in the ice, it also goes pink. You're listening to From Afar, a five-part memoir and storytelling podcast about living and loving long distance. I'm Laura Uden. I live in Darwin, in the tropical north of Australia, with my husband Sean and our two kids. I'm Matilda, I'm 10, and I love to swim. Hello, my name is Saxon, and I'm eight. Are you? No, I'm nine, I'm in. <laughs> Late in 2020, right in the middle of the COVID pandemic, Sean was offered a job to drive boats in Antarctica for a few months. An amazing opportunity. So I'm employed by the Australian Antarctic Division and my job title is a watercraft operator or commonly called a boatie. Um, My primary job is to drive either small IRBs or um, Zodiac style boats and also a big aluminium barge. The big aluminium barge is used to put all the cargo and containers and stuff that's doing the resupply. Um, I skip of that boat along with the other IRBs for crew transfers. Um, so that's the primary role and the second part to my job is to assist in the refuelling of the station. Normally he works here in Darwin driving the pilot boat for the port. But each summer, there's a chance he'll get a gig to join one of the voyages undertaken to resupply the Australian stations in Antarctica. Laurie, I just got a call from the Antarctic Division and I've been offered a trip on Voyage 2. Decision time. What do you think? Yes or no? Well, it's exciting, isn't it, to have the decision? You look pretty excited to me. (laughs) Yeah, got a little tingle in the tummy. <laughs> oh, well, I think that's your answer then. Yeah, I think I'd better do it. Hmm, well, excellent. <laughs> yes, excellent, for him that is. But what about the kids and I? You've been nominated as a contact person for an Australian Antarctic program expeditioner. For many, it's the chance of a lifetime and the culmination of many years of planning and hard work. But it can also be a period of uncertainty and concern as the departure date approaches. Family members, partners and close friends... 
are integral. Yep, going to such a unique destination is an epic experience, both in how special it is, but also in how far away Antarctica is and how unpredictable each voyage can be. That's why the Australian Antarctic Division, or the AAD, talk up our integral family back home are to each of the expeditioners' experience. That's what they call all of their staff that go to Antarctica, an expeditioner. We know all this because Sean's driven boats for them in Antarctica before, a few years ago now. Well, Dad does, like... I don't exactly know what he does, but I think he, like, moves the icebergs out, so out the way. Well, so my dad gets to see his little friend Trevor again. That's a penguin that used to hop up on his boat, like, a lot of times, and and he's seen it dive off. And it's really cool. Um... There'd been months of emails from the Australian Antarctic Division with changing information and lots of maybes due to COVID-19. It's incredibly important COVID doesn't reach the Australian Antarctic stations. So the AAD were flat out dealing with the challenges posed by the global pandemic. Much like everybody else in the world, we tried to just go with the flow, but with months of uncertainty, it was really kind of a relief when Sean did get offered the job. We could then make some decisions as a family and prepare for him to be away. It was around this time that I decided to create this podcast. You see, I'm not sure how to do the long distance thing. Yes, we've done it before, but I feel like we didn't do it that well. By the time Sean came home last time, I had spent the weeks prior in full survival mode. Frazzled, frustrated and lonely. This time, I'm determined for things to be different. I want to feel confident and happy and to have my own adventures. How come I'm excited when I'm not the one that is going to see these amazing animals and icebergs and sea ice and um, have these amazing experiences? In fact, for me... It's going to create a lot more work. It means I'll be single parenting. You know, it's over the wet season in Darwin, which is when we're likely to... It's, it's more likely that we could have cyclones. So there's sort of all those things and, you know, just the everyday jobs that he does that, um, that I don't normally do, like mowing the lawns, um, looking after the pool and cleaning the pool pump and just fixing the things that, always go wrong um, at your house and your lawn and, you know, burying the cane toads um, or dead rats. And then, you know, if things go wrong with the kids, um, yeah, that's, that's what's the most scary. 
So, I wonder why am I excited? You know, there's a part of me that goes, oh, well, you know, I, I love Sean and therefore I'm excited for him. But do you know what? I think there's also a part of me that is sort of excited to see how I'll do, um, you know, how I cope. A bit excited to see what it's like to be a single person for three months. It's almost like a selfish time where I just do what I want to do without actually having to consider his um, opinions or his wishes. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's really strange. You know, I can watch whatever I want on Netflix. I don't have to watch cricket and football. You know, our, our lives are normally the same pretty much each year and each month and each week whereas this is something different it's something new and it's a challenge for all of us and then another side of me goes oh my goodness oh there's no way I can um do what that'd be I don't know it could be like three and a half months fuck I don't know if I could do three and a half months So, with mixed emotions bubbling away in my brain, I realised to make this work, to find a way to be happy while Sean is away, I need to look beyond myself to find out how others do it, how they cope with the hard stuff, the longing and loneliness, the fears and anxiety, and the challenges of soul parenting. What I want is a real, tangible elixir to long-distance love if that even exists. I think about all the people I've met over the years who live or work in remote places or apart from their families and loved ones. Living in Darwin in the Northern Territory, I'm surrounded by people who do the long distance thing. Many of them are my friends and neighbours. My name is Nitesh. Uh, I've been living in Darwin since 2009. My name's Rihanna and I work in health. We have two kids. Hello, my name is Miriam Chari. I'm a young Lagaro woman from Boralala. I'm living in Darwin on dialysis. Um, hi, I'm Rhonda Jones. Um, I came to Darwin in 1968 um, at the age of 19. I'm and Tamara and I work at Australian Border Force. My name's Gio. I, I, uh, I go by Gio. I call myself that and my friends call me that. My real name's Jeffrey. Uh, my name is Silpi Dungana Pant and uh, um, I'm originally from Nepal. And of course, Sean will be on a ship full of adventurers, heading down to Antarctica, some of them for the full winter season. I imagine they really know how to survive and thrive living remote. Okay, so my name is Jan Dobrogowski. Here we are in the middle of the Great Southern Ocean, south of um, 60 degree um, Latitude South. So. Francis Nadia Bush, but I'm known as Nadia, and I've been, this is my ninth voyage down south, including Macquarie Island. Jamie Beth Cleland, I'm a watercraft operator. I'm Peter Boyle, electrician from Davis. Uh, I did a summer, winter summer from 2019 to 2021. My name is Sharon Labutta, and this year I'm voyage resupply coordinator. So my name's John Cherry. And I'm the doctor who'll be wintering at Davis Station uh, this year. 
I decide to go on a quest to ask these experts, the people around us, how? How do you live a good life when you're away from the person or the people you love the most? What is the magical remedy to loving from afar? So I bought an extra set of recording gear, stowed it away amongst the beanies and thermals in Sean's bags, and ordered a fancy new mic for myself, and pressed record. Thank goodness it's the wet season. It looks like we're going to have him on soon. So I reckon we might get a cyclone. And will it be okay to have a cyclone when Dad's away? No. How come? Because he's the only one that knows how to use a generator. Well, what will we have to do about that? Learn. (laughs) All of a sudden, there's so much to do. First, there's all the practical stuff. (laughs) All right, so what do we have to do here? We're running a drill. This is a cyclone drill. Okay, you've got no power. (laughs) What are you going to do, Laurie? What are you going to do? All right, we've got the choke here on. We've got... An on-off button here. It's off at the moment, so I'll turn that on. And there's this little um, pushy thing here that I need to... Fuel primer. And I'm going to press that, like, ten times. Ten times. And then... Here I go. I'm pulling the... What's this thing called? Cord. The pull cord. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, nearly. Whoa. Woo! <laughs> hey! Man, right. once you got it running. And I just plug the generator into the house. Okay. Now flick it down. Oh. Hear the generator kick in? Yeah. Working hard. That's because you got every device under the sun running inside. Alright, we'll turn it off. And the power back onto the house. Yep. And kill the generator. Easy as pie. Good drill. But it's not the practical things that are the most challenging. I'm determined to be the kind of partner that I'd want if it was me going to Antarctica. Supportive, excited, capable and calm. But it's really hard to stay calm when there's a bunch of uncertainties, mixed feelings and fears. And I'm not the only one in the family feeling this way. Well, so, um, I, I feel really, really quite scared at the same time as, well, happy at the same time as, anxious at the same time as, Well, excited at the same time as sad. The fact that it's going to be a long time, is that what's worrying you? Yeah. Yeah, that's what's worrying me because there's lots and 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 lots of days there without me seeing him. I can understand that. I'm going to miss him too. Saxon had a pretty tough time adjusting to the thought of his dad being away. Well, he 
he's kind of like a safe person almost, so like he makes me feel really safe and he's really adventurous and he makes me feel happy and he's like a really, really safe person to be around. So if he's not here, what does that mean? It means that I don't really have a safe person for the moment and that's kind of really hard. It makes me incredibly uncomfortable to be leaving my little fella feeling the way that he is at the moment. But um, we've talked long and hard about strategies for him and what he can do when he's feeling sad about dad being away and what he can do about that when he feels like that, who he can talk to about that. And then on top of that, he's built a, a list of things that he can do one-on-one with his dad. So I think we got up this morning for a sunrise fish and a canoe. Um, tick that one off the list, but there's about another 10 or 12 things that we've got to get through before the looming date. So, yeah, it doesn't feel good to leave him feeling bad, but I think that we've got him feeling as comfortable as what he can feel about me being away. We got extra help for Sachs at school and he started seeing a counsellor each week and he did start to feel less anxious over time. But I was really torn. Sean hadn't even left yet and the separation was already taking its toll. Is this normal? Perhaps now is a good time to start my quest and have a chat to the people around me. So I pop in to see good mates, Rhiannon and Tamara. Rhiannon is a remote area nurse working in cardiology and Tamara works for Border Force. She gets deployed to remote islands in the Torres Strait, hugging the coast of Papua New Guinea. It's tough work and she leaves Rhiannon home with their two kids, Lily 10 and Cody 6, and their dog Boston, who you may hear in the background now and again. So Tamara, how do you help your kids cope in the lead up to going away? I know before I go that I get a lot of tears and um, a bit of anxiety, especially more so from Lily than Cody. Um, And then uh, I definitely know the day that I'm leaving, I'm very emotional, always. Uh, But Rhiannon cheers them up with a um, Macca's drive-thru every time I seem to go away. (laughs) Especially on school holidays, I try and do as many things that I would like to do with the kids in that time. Um, And then it's all about family, as much family time as possible before the anxiety kicks in, I guess, Um, and that then consumes me before we go. Uh, But other than that, yeah, I just try and get as much in as I possibly can, read as many stories, have as much fun and go and do as much family stuff as we can. So what's the anxiety? I get anxiety every time I go away Um, and I think every single person that does deploy with us does it's just um, unfortunately one of those things that you know you're going to a place that you know you're sort of tested a little bit and it's not as nice and fuzzy as back here so you sort of got to work yourself up for going away and um, so with that Rhiannon how do you find um, I guess peace in Tamara going away Um, to somewhere that's potentially dangerous? Yeah, 
the danger of her going away, it does bother us. And I think even the kids, you know, those it, the week or so leading up to it, like you can, the house just isn't itself. It's not calm and happy. Like every, all everyone's anxiety is just building, and that makes it hard. And you know, even when she'll message and say, "I'm doing this, I've, I'm on tonight or whatever," you know, you always have that little bit of anxiety that you know, hoping that it's nothing that to worry about and that they just go home and go to bed. But it can be volatile, no matter what job you're doing when you're remote. Right, so should we just pull the pin and put a line through Sean going? Or do I just need to do a Macca's drive through run after we wave him goodbye? I ask my daughter Matilda what she thinks about her dad going away. He gets to share his experience with us at the end and we get to be like the proud kids of someone who's actually gone to Antarctica that's like the most uncommon place to go and the coldest place on earth. And like there's all these stories that he has about penguins jumping up and killer whales and all sorts of things. I know that I that sometimes I'll definitely miss him and I might cry a little bit. Sometimes I might worry a little bit about his safety and when he gets back and all. And I might want to see him. But at the moment I feel fine. Thinking about the pros and cons made me wonder how others feel about leaving their kids or partners or parents. Sean had a chat with AAD colleague Nadia Bush. She lives in Tasmania and often spends the whole summer doing all three of the resupply missions to Antarctica, taking her away from her two teenage kids for up to six months. Do you guys have any special little routines or things that you do before you go? Um, yeah, yeah, we do generally plan some special things more that they're going to do while I am away uh, with different people, different family members and I'm involved in that planning which is nice and leading up to it so I can feel that I'm a part of it while I am away and then be able to ask them all about it. Do you have support and other family networks that help to fill that gap? Their dad's excellent he knows that I've got the spirit to work away and that's what I do as part of my job and my role so he's been very supportive and um, just takes up all that slack so I am very grateful for for his support this season my mum stepped up and she's taking them five days a fortnight which is great and that she sort of adds a bit of spice She gets them really quite involved with what I'm doing, checking out where I'm at, shows them different um, penguins and birds that I might be seeing. So that's actually made me feel really happy this year that they're really gaining experience and knowledge and from where I'm going and what I'm doing. Yeah, I know from um, my own experience that the family has actually gained a lot out of me coming down and learnt a lot. Yeah, for me, the biggest advantage or the biggest gift that I'm giving them from this experience is that uh, five, seven, eight years ago I I spoke to them about wanting to come down here and and working towards that and put myself in a position to have the what I needed to get the job and was very open with the kids with that and then I got into the watercraft pool they did actually say to me, please, mum, we're not quite ready. Can you wait a, another year? So I respected that as they were quite young. 
and then the following year off their own back they said we really want you to go now mum we know that it would be really good for you and you've worked hard for that um, that achievement to get there and from from that point of view the gift I've given the kids is that if you have a dream and you want to do something even if it you know took me four years to do it I got there and they're really proud and can see that and I know they're going to take that with them into their life in making things happen um yeah so that's the main gift that actually they've got from it not so much what I'm doing down here but more how I got here that's that's the thing yeah that's that's an excellent message I love that that is an excellent message I really do agree that we all benefit from Sean going to Antarctica. Perhaps we just need to spend quality time together now and stay positive before he departs. But to be honest, I'm all over the place and as the date grows closer, things get hard. We have this looming date um, that's ahead of us which is the date that we all say goodbye to each other and as it gets closer the pressure to make sure that every minute we spend together is amazing is really high and it creates an underlying anxiety amongst us all and I think the kids have felt this as well that if things aren't perfect then it's Um, you know it's devastating it's wrong how can we not make sure that things are perfect when we won't see each other for three months it's almost like one of those you know silly payoffs or something that you you do in your own head where you're like okay well I'll if I spend as much time as possible, then it's, it's going to be okay when he's away, you know. But I need to show him how much I love him and what if something happens? I need to make sure he knows I love him and, I don't know, really silly stuff. The never-ending feeling of uncertainty is compounded because we aren't sure what type of communication we'll have. You see, Sean will be on a ship he hasn't sailed on before, so everything is a bit unknown including whether we'll be able to talk via a phone or just by email, or perhaps an app like WhatsApp. Saying that, he's really looking forward to checking out the new ship. It's a really nice, new, massive ship. It's 140 metres, which is significantly bigger than the Aurora Australis, and it's not an icebreaker as such. Um, And it's only done the one trip south, which was the previous voyage, which from all reports, was hugely successful and I keep getting told from the people on board that they're highly professional and they run a really good ship. Just before COVID hit, the big orange icebreaker, the Aurora Australis, that had been taking expeditioners to Antarctica for 31 years, was decommissioned. And, due to the pandemic, Australia's new icebreaker, the Noyina, wasn't ready. So the ice-strengthened, multi-purpose research vessel, MVP Everest, was chartered and will be home to Sean for the next couple of months. COVID kept throwing new challenges. Their departure was delayed for two weeks and then we were told that Sean would have to quarantine in Hobart before setting foot on the ship. This meant a couple of things. 
First, I'd already booked flights for the kids and I to go to Victoria to spend holidays with family while Sean was to be away. But with a delay in their departure, he ended up still here in Darwin while we flew out to Victoria. That, paired with Sean quarantining, extended our time apart by nearly four weeks. That's quite a bit when you're already apart for a couple of months. While having to isolate in Hobart was an inconvenience for Sean, ultimately it was a choice and he was happy enough to do it. Sadly, for many people living in isolation, it's not a choice. Think asylum seekers and refugees, prisoners, and people living with serious medical conditions. It must be incredibly difficult to feel so stuck. I wanted to find out more and a friend of mine introduced me to artist and photographer Miriam Charlie. After a cup of tea to get to know each other better, we started to chat about the lack of choice she has in living away from her loved ones and her home, culture and country. Hello, my name is Miriam Charlie. I'm a Yanyala Garo woman from Borolulu. I'm living in Darwin on dialysis. I do dialysis three days a week, four hours a day. I go to nightclub renal. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays and Saturdays. That's a lot of time out of your week, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I feel frustrated sometimes, but then I thank God that I'm alive. The mission is keeping us alive. Yeah. And so you now have to live in Darwin because you can't get access to dialysis at home in Borolula. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, in Borodula, there's, um, there's, there's two seats available, but because people are doing home dialysis who stays there, they do their own dialysis. But for people like us, we need nurses stand there, and that's the main thing. If the nurses do come down with us, we'll be happy, but nobody helping us, you know, and we're frustrated and struggling to go home to visit our families. It's sad to be in Darwin too, but I'm, you know, like away from home. So I miss my children and my grandchildren my families and my community, and especially my art station, because we have an art station, and we go out there during holidays and take our kids out, show them what to eat and how to cook animals in the fire and what to look for, which one the best, what, 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 when best time of the season we go out and look for turtles and go fishing and hunting and going into mangroves to look for mud mussels and all that, yeah, and we show the kids how to cook it. And the kids, are feel, they feel happy. They can run around anywhere. Yeah. And how, how do you feel like your culture keeps you strong? Like, how does it help you? Would it help us to understand our language and keep, keep our language together? Yeah, we pass our language to our kids. Well, at the moment, I'm in Darwin. My sister lives in Bali. She teaches our kids language. And I know... Um that there's cultural obligations to care for country. How, how does it affect you when you can't be on country and fulfil those sort of obligations? Well, we're up in Darwin, stuck in renal. We can't do anything about it. So whenever we go home, we make sure to talk to our people, you know, tell them about our country, make sure to look after our country. And how does it make you feel not being able to be there to do that? Sad, sad and lonely. Yeah. I just feel like I want to be there, but I can't be there. I'll be here for my treatment, you know. This really hits home. 
Miriam doesn't have a choice. She has to live away from who and what she loves in order to stay alive. But we do have a choice. Sean can just stay at home. But it's an incredible opportunity and experience that, as a family, we all learn and benefit from. So let's do this and let's make it fun, especially for the kids. But is that really possible? I wonder what other people do to make it fun. Surely some of the expeditioners heading to Antarctica for the winter have some ideas. Sean asked a mate of his, John O'Toby, how he's prepared to be away from his family for much of the year. John O will be the plumber at Davis Station for the winter, and he has two very young daughters and a wife at home. I wanted to try and surprise the wife and the kids with a few little things throughout the year and I'm hoping that on the first of each month to have a little surprise, maybe a treasure hunt around the house that the kids can go around and find something special. I've got a life-size cutout of myself in my Antarctic gear that got delivered to the house as well as a little 40 centimetre tall one that the kids can take in the car or on holidays or days out or whatever. The kids were super excited when there was a a cardboard cutout, life-size cardboard cutout in the in the kitchen sort of thing. So that was pretty funny. Um, we've got some socks um, and pillowcases with with some random photos on them, and I've got one of each daughter, and they've got one of themselves with my head on them. So a bit of a mix and a match, and that was pretty funny. Um, and also went got two little figurines, like a G.I. Joe-type hard plastic sort of thing, that the girls actually ended up choosing to mimic themselves. So I can take them around and I take them out and about on my little adventures and I take little photos and I can easily stick them in my pocket and whatever I'm doing that day, I can put them wherever I am in front of an iceberg or in front of a, um, a generator or a machine or something like that. And it was just a quick, easy thing. Send the photo home and say, hey, girls, thinking of you, you're out on my adventure too. And yeah, can't wait to see you when I get home. Oh, that's a lovely idea. The little dolls, that is. I'm not sure if I'd want a life-size cutout of Sean standing in my kitchen the whole time he's away. He has now left for Hobart, where he's holed up in a hotel for a couple of weeks' isolation. To be honest, I don't feel too sorry for him. Two weeks in a hotel, with someone bringing me food, a glass of wine, exercise equipment and doing my laundry? Yes, please. Well, what a big moment. Just walked into my hotel room it's my uh, four walls for the next 14 days quarantine I'm trying to get used to the sound of the noise of microphone in my headphones it all seems very foreign to me so I'm trying to get used to getting the microphone and a recording to support my beautiful wife who's building this podcast anyway it's a little bit of an adjustment thing for me so bear with me I had a big delivery of all our PPE, our clothing. So grabbed all the gear um, and then proceeded to go through every item, which is a lot of gear. There's probably, you know, five or six different sets of gloves, different beanies and hats and neck warmers. And then there's the uh, inner layer of thermals, your mid-layer of woolens, then your Gore-Tex and your outer layer. There's different styles of boots. There's um, an enormous amount of gear to go through. And you have to use 
that all that different gear in different variations depending on what task you're doing. It's the 1st of February and kids and I are back in Darwin after our summer holiday with family and it was so nice to um, fly into monsoon weather, beautiful breezes, drizzling rain. It wasn't so nice to walk into the house full of mould. Settled in on Sunday, was pretty exhausted by the end of the day after cleaning mould off Everything from bathroom doors to kitchen plates, uh, pillows, throughout curtains, uh, the joys of living in the tropics. It's really damp everywhere. You run your hands over the walls of the house and they're damp. Um, That's what it's like in a monsoon. Uh, So trying to get washing dry is a nightmare. However, I'm feeling really great. Um, It's a couple of weeks now that we've been apart from Sean, although we did get two hours with him at Melbourne Airport, which was lovely, on his way down to Hobart for isolation. Uh, So I just wanted to say that I'm feeling great, Um, feeling like things are going to work. I'm doing all right, doing good. Hopefully it stays like this. I've just completed seven days in isolation. Um, while the AAD has kept me somewhat busy with meetings and training, some of those have been fire on station, AAD policy and workplace behaviour, manual handling, quarantine resilience, work health and safety. Uh, we also do cold injuries, now, when you see mild hypothermia, think the umbles, all right? And we all know what the umbles are. Umbles, fumbles, grumbles, and fumbles. And the importance of gentle handling, that is critical in someone who's very, very cold. Uh, not just someone with the umbles. They're not you know, they're walking, talking, uh, but it's someone who's collapsed from the cold um, and uh, who you may be uncertain what is their level of consciousness or if there's any vital signs. You have to handle them gently. CPR is actually extremely rough handling of a person, but it's used to save lives. But in the context of being very, very cold, you don't start CPR right away. So we'll cover that as a separate topic. And then uh, the second last point there, immersion hypothermia means when you get in the water, by design or accident, you cool down 25 times quicker than if you're in the air. So you get cold faster. This is the one that's going to kill people uh, if, if, if they get it wrong. While Sean's busy within his four walls learning about the umbles, things go a bit pear-shaped for me. I'm not feeling very well. I've got a cold and, um, yeah, feeling for the first time that I don't want to have to deal with the kids. It's, what, about three weeks since... Sean and I have been apart and I'm missing him today. Um, Not sure if it's because I'm not feeling well or because I'm feeling a bit panicky that in a couple of days' time um, he'll be on the ship and from what we hear there's very limited communication and we really don't know whether we'll be able to have the odd phone call 
uh, whether we'll be able to email like we have on previous trips. Uh, so I'm feeling a bit down today, um, feeling like I wish mum lived here so she could come around and help look after the kids because um, I really don't feel very well. Having recently travelled interstate and now having cold and flu symptoms, I went for a COVID test. I did tell the kids I was coming for a test and they asked me what happens if it's positive and what will happen to them, what will they need to do and I didn't really know. Uh, No idea. Maybe we'd all have to go into quarantine, maybe I would and I'd have to find someone to look after the kids for two weeks, I don't know. I isolate with the kids at home for a few days until I get my negative result. Oh, thank goodness. It's crunch time now. Sean's finally left isolation and boarded the ship. Um, First things first, when you get onto any ship, you really want to work out your exit strategy and what you need to take and what you have to do. So I thought I might run through that with you. You pull your life jacket out. Um, First things first, bang that over your head and work out the straps, uh, the right size and try it on. Yep, I'll just... Put that over my head, wrap that round. Check the light is working, the whistle's working. Yep. Um, and the immersion suit. So you get um, told when you do your drills where you have to go in case of an emergency. And everyone is to take their life jacket, immersion suit and their AAD-issued survival kit. So if you hear the alarm go off straight from your cabin, grab those um, three bits of kit and then you are to go to your muster station and um, once you get up there then the ship's crew will um, do numbers and work out who's who and where you are and and, um, hopefully it's all good. But here we go, I'm going to try on my immersion suit. You're supposed to have thermal underlays, then you have your woolen underlays, then you have your Gore-Tex, then you put your immersion suit on over the top of all that. So I'm just trying mine on. It's like a wetsuit material. Putting it on over the top of my pants. It's like a big onesie. Picture yourself getting on into a wetsuit, but it's about 20 times the size bigger than a normal one. It's got little mittens and that, and a full hood that goes over the top. And I'm looking at it here. I've got it on. It sort of fits, albeit very uncomfortable and and um, gamely. But anyway, it works and fits. It's like a 7 mil neoprene um, fluorescent orange onesie. Anyway, if it keeps you alive, that's good. So there you go, there's my immersion suit experience. After the big lead up, both Sean and I are glad the journey can now begin. But we're both feeling on edge, still unsure if this whole thing is a good idea. Laurie's got lots of challenges with the kids um, going back to school and starting up their sport. They have sport four or five nights a week and I have a little pang of guilt that I'm not there to help her and run the kids around and 
um, be there as an important member of the family. And I'm very aware that she's there on her own. And then to top it off, Saxon uh, went downhill and had a nasty headache and vomited yesterday. So Laurie's got a cold and flu. Saxon's vomiting and headachey. Um, I just know that it's hard for her to be looking after sick kids when she herself is sick. So, um, yeah, that's always hard hearing um, the love of your life, having a, a rough time. The next recording is our last phone call before the ship threw its ropes. The kids have just said goodbye before heading into school. Yeah, school drop-off was a little bit emotional. Oh, was it? Okay. Oh, Saxy got really upset and, um, yeah, was just feeling really sad after saying goodbye to you. And, um, yeah, so I took him to his class and had a chat to his teacher and then, you know, she was like, oh, um, you know, that's really sad and understand. And are you okay? And then I was like, you know, my chin started to wobble. Oh, I'm going to get upset again. I feel stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Keep thinking about like, um, people whose partners go to war or go down to Antarctica for 12 months or, you know, think, oh, I'm being stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe just the fact that we haven't seen each other for a month and I'm still here and being able to talk to you. And and it it, it very much feels like it's only the start now and we've already been separated, but Mm. definitely a a massive part of it. We're feeling like this because we know that we've got a long way to go and we're feeling like it's been a long time already. Yeah. And even just the... What if you get stuck down there? Yeah. And what yeah. if COVID does get on the ship and you get yeah. sick? Like, I don't know. I just feel like there's so many um, what ifs. It's the, um, the Swiss cheese thing, isn't it, Laurie? What's the <laughs> Swiss cheese thing? Heard of that? Eventually, if you're towing enough little holes in the cheese, eventually they line up to have a fuck up. Oh, can you not so, say that? I <laughs> know. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Can we have no yeah, Swiss cheese yeah. moments on this trip, please? <laughs> no, no Swiss cheese. Oh, anyway, we're all right. Don't get upset. The next time I spoke with Sean, I could hear the hum of the ship's engine in the background. They'd finally departed. His Antarctic adventure had begun. I took a deep breath. I wiped my eyes and put my big girl undies on. Perhaps the lead up and saying goodbye is actually the hardest part. Now I can concentrate on me and the kids, of course. I can't even say the words are so gross. <laughs> what are you doing? Tell me. Yeah, there's someone, there's poo on the ground. Oh, oh no. Next time on From Afar. Yeah, apparently the doctors to come to Antarctica have to get their appendix cut out to get the job. I go because it makes me feel good. I, I can see that I'm helping. 
So it's absolutely bucketing down here. It's about five in the morning in Darwin wet season and the power's out. Can you hear us? Papa? No. From Afar was created and produced by me, Laurie Uden, with some help from my husband, Sean, who recorded the sounds and interviews in Antarctica. I couldn't have done it without Cinnamon Nippard, who produced and edited the podcast, and Hamish Robertson, who mixed it. Big thanks also to Johanna Bell for her invaluable mentoring, and of course to our kids, Matilda and Saxon, for allowing me to record their lives for more than just a few months. If you love the music, look up Darwin singer-songwriter and now music producer for podcasts, Serena Peck. Additional ukulele track from Dominic Razlav. Last but not least, thanks to all the people who participated in the podcast and to the Australian Antarctic Division and Maritime Construction Services for their support. In this episode, you heard from Yangua Garoa woman, Miriam Charlie, along with Tamara Travers and Rhiannon Townsend, and the Antarctic expeditioners, Nadia Bush and John O'Toby. From Afar was made with funding support from the Northern Territory Government through Arts NT.